All right. All right, I'm back, and I will try not to kick anything over So in the next 30 minutes or so. Um, I think I should introduce myself probably. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I don't get up here very often. My name's Brian Cesarek. I belong to Ruth, my wife of 26 years, wonderful woman. Amanda, my youngest, is sitting with her. She's 19. I've got a 21-year-old daughter, Jessie, a 23-year-old son, David, is back here as well, and then my oldest uh, daughter is Hannah. She's 25, and she is married to Michael, and they live in Austin. Am I doing okay here? Okay. I was talking to the technical guys. I'm sorry. I will look for some affirmation later from you, but um, so... It really is a, a privilege to be here. I, Ruth and I and the, and the family, we've been in the church for about 20 years, actually. So um, Ryan, as I said, is in, uh, off the coast of Washington State for his annual um, kind of family gathering. And interestingly, I spoke this exact weekend last year. Um, so I just want you to know that I, this is actually the second part of a five-year series. Um, and... Uh, but we'll get into that in a minute. But I'm kind of, I'm going to kind of, kind of wing something here real quick. We didn't plan this, and, and nobody even knows we're doing this. But why don't, the Rices are getting ready to leave our our family. They've been here for years. Why don't you guys come up, bring the whole family up, and we would just like to gather around you and, and pray with you. Let's have some folks, some friends of the Rices, and maybe some of the the elders and. Uh, Jeremy, why don't you come on up and and anybody anybody kind of come up and pray. Heather is your this is your last week, right? Yes. Okay. And uh, but Jason, you're going to be here next week. Okay, good. But well, that's all right. We really we just need to pray for Heather, right? Because she's yeah, we going she's going with three kids. She says so. But uh, they're going to Omaha, Nebraska, and they have been here in some form or fashion for six or so years. You you were here by yourself, and then you guys. Married how many years ago? Three. Come on now. There we go. <laughs> Heather knows. It's three. So, um, but we, uh, it's, you guys have really been a blessing. We, you know, when Ryan's, uh, the Ryan and Kelly's anniversary deal, uh, looked up there and saw pictures of Jason. Jason used to play the bass up here before he has a responsibility in his life. And uh, <clears throat> so it, it's just a, it's a bittersweet as it always is when people, leave our family. So would you just extend your hands to, to Jason and Heather, and I'll, I'll, just, I'll just pray for them. Lord, we, we thank you for this family. Thank you for the blessing that they've been to so many here. And um, it's, with, <clears throat> it's with sad but hopeful hearts that we release them into your care, and we look forward to the best days of their lives, Lord, as they not because they're leaving this place, but as they leave this place and go and, and we just release them into your hands and your family that you have waiting for them in Omaha. So we thank you for safety as they go and for mighty blessing as this family grows. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, bless you guys. Bless you. Oh, you left me hanging there. Sorry. <clears throat> All right, so um, I wanted to uh, I wanted to start with a story today. It's a it's a it's kind of a funny story I like to tell, and I wasn't really planning on telling, but it kind of came to my mind a few weeks ago because it it's pertinent and applicable to uh, 
what we're going to talk about today. And it's a story uh, about a pelican that uh, we, we had an encounter with a few years ago. My, my uh, two youngest daughters and Ruth and, and Brittany Schultz, who used to be our administrator here, were in South Padre um, for, for a volleyball tournament. My two girls were on the same team. And it was springtime. It was really kind of the, the, the school, school year was still going on. So it, it wasn't summer. It was kind of cool. Um, <clears throat> but, <clears throat> excuse me, we, uh, we were getting ready to leave the next day. So we wanted to take one more walk on the beach that evening and before we left the next morning. And Ruth wisely stayed in the room because it was, it was cold. Uh, it was windy. But so we're walking on the beach. And the, one, the first thing I remember noticing is we, we see this pelican. And this pelican is, is in the water, right? But it's kind of, it's down the beach, but it's out in the water. And I'm just thinking, hey, it's a pelican. That's pretty cool, right? I don't know. I'm not a pelican expert. I didn't know if that pelican's supposed to be there. I just figured he's chilling. He's, you know, he's kind of like flapping his wings and doing his stuff that birds do. And um, I, we, so my point is I thought it was totally normal what he was doing. But until the surfer dude comes running out of the water straight towards us. There's a guy, he's like my age. He's like in his, I mean, nothing, no problem if you surf and you're 50-something. But he was, he was just an older surfer guy. And he's saying... He's, he's yelling at us, and he says, hurry. He says, call 1-800-SEA-TURTLES, and they will come and rescue that pelican. And that's the number you call when stuff needs rescue. That, that's, that's a real phone number. I was not making that up. So 1-800-SEA-TURTLES. So I was kind of taken aback, and, and I kind of grabbed my phone, and, well, first thing I said ignorantly was, I don't know why I said this, but I said, oh, does it need rescuing? Because it looked totally normal to, from a distance. And he kind of rolled his eyes. He did. He rolled his eyes at me. And he said, his wing is broken. I was like, oh, okay. He's apparently a pelican expert. So he, or he, maybe he surfed by the pelican and saw this. I don't know. So, so I'm just kind of like baffled. I'm not moving fast enough for the guy. I kind of grab my phone and I go, ah, and... And so that's not good enough for him. He runs right past me, and he's looking for the next person who has a phone. So he's yelling at people, and, you know, pretty soon. The pelican is, is still down there, down the, down the way, and it's, but it's coming closer to the beach. And um, he's, there's these two kids that come, come along, and they're, like, throwing stuff at it. And throwing, I see their food or rocks or something. And the guy's yelling at them, don't throw anything at the pelican. Do not touch the pelican. You know, he's, there's people gathering. Don't touch the pelican. So all of a sudden, though, there's kind of been, there's a little conference between these three guys. And he's one of them. And pretty soon this other guy comes up and he's like, he is touching the pelican. He's, he has grabbed the pelican. The pelican is like fighting him. He's flapping his wings and he's like pecking at him and stuff. And <clears throat> the reason the guy has grabbed the pelican is because he knows what's really going on. And what's really going on is that the pelican had caught a fish, but the fish was on a hook. So the pelican had got this hook in its beak and whoever was fishing did not want to catch a pelican. So at some point he cut the line and that pelican was completely wrapped up and, and incapacitated by this fishing line. And so what this guy had done is he had cut, he'd, man, I'm sorry, this is too close to me. What am I doing here? 
I'm going to pull this away a little bit. So he, he cuts the, the, the hook, pulls it out of the beak, and he completely unwinds this pelican. And what happened next was, was really, really amazing. It, it really needed like the theme from Chariots of Fire or something, for those of you who are old enough to remember that. And <clears throat> so the pelican, he's completely set free now, and he turns, and he lifts out of the water, and he like flies into the sunset. It was really cool. It was so cool that those three guys, no joke, these are three grown men. They're like running in the water after him going, yeah! <laughs> They're like, yeah! And... Uh, but, but it, was, it was really cool because, uh, you know, they had a part in, in, in setting this, this beautiful bird free. And so, uh, you know, there are obvious parallels to that story. You, you I, w- I want to submit to you that you and I are, are the pelican. And uh, I want to talk about the lengths to which God went to, 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 to set us free and to completely restore us. To, to sons and daughters of the, of the living God. And Paul, I want to talk about it through really the words of, of Paul mostly, because Paul is a, is a, great, Paul's a great guy to, um, well, <laughs> to hear this from. And he, you know, we think Paul's an awesome guy, right? He wrote most of the New Testament. He was like the best, greatest Christian ever and all that, right? But Paul was, he was a terrible guy, all right? Before he got born again. He was a terrible guy. And he, he had to deal with, um, he had to deal with his past, just like we all have to deal with who we have been and, and the things that we have done. Uh, you know, Paul, when we meet Paul first, it's in the book of Acts, and he's standing uh, while people are throwing their coats at his feet so they can pick up rocks to kill a man. With the rocks, he, they're going to stone Stephen, an innocent man. He's 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 testifying of of Jesus and what Jesus has done. So he's standing there approving the word says while they're killing Stephen. And then it says we see him later, and and there there becomes a there's a great persecution that that begins against the church. And Paul is 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 a is a leader in this persecution. It says he was wreaking havoc on the church. He was pulling people out of their homes pulling men and women out of their homes and throwing them in prison. So, bad guy. So he meets Jesus. Jesus kind of, you know, knocks him off his horse on, his, on the road to Damascus. And Paul becomes converted. He becomes a, he becomes a Christian. And we're going to talk about that. But, but one thing that did not change when that happened was, you know, the consequences of what Paul did before that, they, they didn't go away. Those people that, pull Paul, that Paul pulled out of those homes, ripped out of the arms of their children, threw them in prison. You know, when Paul got born again and became a great guy, that we think he was, those people, there's no indication that any of those people were let out of prison. They still, Paul had to live with that. Paul had to live with the consequences of, of what he had done. And so we're really no, we're really no different than that. We, we deal with the things we've done. We deal with who we are. And, you know, the question is, how did Paul, how did Paul like bounce back from that? How did, how do we, how do we bounce back from 
the things that we've done. How do we, I mean, I mean, bounce back's not even the word. How did, how did Paul do that? How, did, how was he able to, to live a life effectively? Well, he wants us to know. He wasn't somebody special. I mean, he, he wasn't unusual, except for his sin was unique. You know, we all do unique things. He was just like you and me, and he, wants, he wanted to, he, what he, the gospel he preached um, he talks about this all throughout the scriptures. And the, and the, ver, the, the scripture, I, 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 I want to tell you what the title of the message is. I, I thought of it when I was shaving this morning, which is not relevant. But um, the, the, the title of this message, I, want, I, I wanted to title it, The Only Way to Live. There's only one way to live. And Paul wants to tell us the only way to live. And the scripture I want to start with is in Galatians, where Paul says these words that are just... They're just really amazing. He says in Galatians 2.20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Those words, Paul, if you read throughout the entire scriptures, these words that Paul just said, they're not, they're not, uh, they're not a picture. They're not, uh, it's not an analogy, and it's not a metaphor. Paul wants us to know that this actually happened. And I'll, I'll, I'll get into that in just a minute. But in order to do that, um, I need to take you kind of back to the, to the, to the beginning here. And um, let's start, I want to start in the book of Hebrews and talk about what it means, <clears throat> first of all, when Paul says he's been crucified with Christ, what, uh, how God provided for us to be free from the guilt and the shame of what we've done and, and who we are. And it starts back here in, in Hebrews. The writer of the Hebrews in, in chapter 9 says this, verse 11 says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once for all. I want you to remember that phrase, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Cleanse your conscience. I want to just take you back a little bit and explain to you what this writer, this could be Paul, we don't know who the writer of the Hebrews is definitively, but the writer of the Hebrews is talking about how Jesus came as, as our high priest. So back in the Old Testament, we all, most of us probably know this, but the children of Israel, there was a high priest. It was one guy, one man, and he was the only man who was able to walk into the most holy place of the tabernacle. And the word says that the tabernacle was, that on earth, it was, it was, a, it was like a copy of what's, what's real. And what's real is what's in the heavenlies, okay? There's a real most holy place. So, Back in the day, God, God requires death and, and the, life of, of an, the, the, the life of something uh, innocent 
to satisfy him for the sins of his people. He allowed the Israelites to kill an innocent animal, an animal. And, and they, would, they would kill this animal publicly for everybody to see. But the blood that he would take, he would take by himself. There, this man would take it by himself and he would bring it into the most holy place and he would present it to God. And God said that would satisfy him. That would satisfy him until, until they had to do it again because they had to do it regularly. And this gave them a, a consciousness of their sins and a, and a consciousness of the, of the need for their dependence upon God. But they had to do it continually. Hebrews 9 says that Jesus came and he did it once. Once and for all and once forever. We're going to talk in a minute about there's a tense in the Bible called the aorist tense that it means like a, eternally past or once forever. It's something, it's something that historically has happened, but it, it's, it's, it, it covers all time. And that's what, the, what happened at the cross and with the blood of Jesus. And Hebrews 10, if we go on, it says that in verse 19, it says, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus... By a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Again, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. This writer's talking about our conscience being cleansed. And the way that God has, has, has taken care of the things that we've done is, is by the blood of Jesus. Once and for all, he's enabled us to come boldly. It says having boldness. That word boldness in the Greek means, it means with full assurance and confidence. It means bluntness. It means like outspokenness. Like, you know, if we are not coming to God boldly in full assurance, I would submit to you that we are, we are possibly under the influence of, of shame and guilt and condemnation. And, and this, what God is saying is, by the blood of Jesus, one time, he has qualified you and me to come into his presence. Now, how do we normally come into God's presence? We kind of come, we kind of live, we tend to, to do, do life by the way we, we feel, right? So yesterday, I had a great day yesterday. I, I didn't get, I didn't lose my temper I didn't think any impure thoughts. I wasn't offended by anybody. I didn't offend anybody. I didn't, you know, I had all that. So I can approach God, right? Because I was living right. But today, I mean, shoot, before I even got to church, right? This happens sometimes. Before I even got to church, I completely lost it, blew it. Whatever, yelled at my kids or looked in the mirror and looked at myself and thought, what a loser, you know, whatever. That's how we normally come. But I want you to, uh, the Scripture says, the Scripture calls that self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. When, you, when you've got different ideas about how you can come to God, when one day you feel better about and more bold about coming to God, more confident about coming to God, and another day you don't, that's just, that's called self-righteousness. God has, by his grace, enabled you and me to come boldly and, and, and enter his presence once and for all 
once forever by the blood of Jesus. That's why we call it the precious blood of Jesus. We say that all the time. You know, why is it? That's why it's precious. It's precious to God. God has been satisfied. And if God has been satisfied, you and I can be satisfied. That's the message of the gospel. That is Paul's message. God has been satisfied. So don't try to find some other way to be satisfied before you come to God. It's like, it's like a gift. If I were to, Brent, if I were to give you a gift, sweet, that's right. If I were to give you a gift, well, you don't know the gift yet. If I were to give you a gift, it's a gift. But if I, if I came to Brent and I said, Brent, man, I love you. Here's a gift. What if Brent said, um, that's nice, but can you hold on to that um, for a while? Do you need like your grass, your, your lawn mode or anything? Or can I paint something for you? I mean, can, is there something, can I give you a ride somewhere? No, 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 it's a gift. It's just, it's a gift. Now, I, you know what, just hold on to that. Let me, let me do something for you. That's, that's basically what self-righteousness is. It's trying to find a way to God apart from the, the way that he has provided for us. So God has been satisfied. So God's been satisfied as it relates to our, our sins. He's cleansed our conscience. And he, the, the early part in Hebrews 10, it says we come with, without a consciousness of sins. Without a consciousness of sins. So yes, we, we have a memory we have a memory, right? But God's been completely satisfied. So honor the Lord. Honor him by coming boldly based on one thing, the, the full assurance of the blood of Jesus satisfying God. So that's, that's the first thing Paul wants to get across, is that, <clears throat> that our sins have been, they've been washed away by the washing of our consciences. And we can come to God freely. But there's another problem to that. The other problem to that is that, um, you know, we have, we have this capacity in us still. I mean, when Paul was born again, that's what the Bible calls it. When you, when you, when you receive the life of God, the grace of God, receive this gift, you get born again. We'll talk about kind of why it's called that in a minute too. When, when you get born again, you don't lose the capacity to sin. It's kind of like, it's kind of like, um, well, I want to tell you the Twinkie story now or later. <clears throat> um, let me tell you the, tw- yeah, I'm going to tell you now. So, it's like if you want to get rid of all the Twinkies in the world, there's, there's one way you could try to do it, and that is, I don't know how many stores Twinkies are in. Let's just say they're in 100,000 stores. Let's say you hire 100,000 people or 100,000 people volunteer, I don't know, and they, they go stand in front of every store. And when that store opens in the morning, they all run into those stores and they grab every Twinkie because they are bad for you. <clears throat> and they either buy them or they steal them or whatever. They take them out, they burn them, they eat them. I don't know what they do, but they, they get rid of the Twinkies, Right? That's great for that day, but the next day, what's going to happen, Brent? There's going to be some more Twinkies in that store, right? They're going to put in another order. They're going to produce some more Twinkies. I don't know why I'm focused on you, Brent, but <clears throat> this is for you, Brent. No, <laughs> no. So, <laughs> so, but the next day or the next time they get an order and there's more Twinkies in the store, right? So the only way to shut down Twinkies is to stop their production, 
And that actually happened a few years ago, right? Remember when Twinkies kind of went bankrupt or whatever? And so there were no Twinkies for a while. But that's, that's what you'd have to do. And that's what God has done. First, he's taken care of the product, our sins, by the blood of Jesus. And then he takes care of the production, the source of production, by the cross, and we're gonna let's let's move to, to Romans, uh, Romans chapter five. Paul tells us how this this works. He's been crucified with Christ, he says. So in Romans five nineteen, uh, actually from about twelve, verse twelve to twenty one, Paul is comparing and contrasting two men. One is named Adam, and one is named Jesus Christ, and He's, he's making the point that, um, that we, are, we are children of Adam by birth. And he says this in verse 19 of chapter 5 in Romans. He says, For By one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. He says this in some form or fashion six or seven times in these ten verses. He says, Through one man sin entered the world. And death spread to all men through one man's disobedience. Judgment came to all men. Many died from that offense. So he's making a point that you and I have been impacted by the fact that we have, we have inherited something from Adam because you know, this isn't hard to understand, really, if you think about it. Adam, Adam is our father. Adam and Eve are our parents. If you believe the scriptures that, you know, I mean, they're the first people, right? And everybody has come from Adam and Eve. And it's, it's like this. Paul, Paul talks about being in Adam, and then he talks about being in Christ. But here's how it works. There's a story, there's a story in Hebrews about, Abraham in the in the seventh chapter. Abraham's just come back from a war. He's defeated these kings, and he comes. <coughs> excuse me. He comes to this guy. There's a priest, a priest and a king, and his name is Melchizedek. And nobody knows where this guy came from. He has no like family line or anything. But but Abraham honors him by giving him a, tithes of the spoils of of the war of his of of all that he has, and. And the writer of the Hebrews is, is trying to, to draw a distinction that Melchizedek's priesthood is better than Levi's priesthood. Levi is the tribe that all of Israel paid tithes to. So the way he says that is that Melchizedek is greater than Levi because even though all of Israel paid tithes to Levi, to that tribe. That Levi paid tithes to Melchizedek. But Levi wasn't even born when Abraham paid tithes to Melchizedek. But the writer of the Hebrews says this. He says, Levi was in the loins of Abraham. Levi was in Abraham when Abraham was paying those tithes to Melchizedek. So it's the same thing. When, we, when, when Paul says we, we were in Adam... That's, that's how it was. It's kind of like, I mean, I was in my great-great-grandfather. 
If he would have died when he was six years old, I would not be here. Same thing. So we were in Adam. And Paul says that in Adam, death spread to all of us as a family thing. We're in Adam's family by birth, and there's only one way out of that family. And Paul tells us about it here in Romans 6. You go on to Romans 6, and in verse 6 it says this. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. For he who has died has been freed from sin. So there's only one way out of sin, and it's death. This is what Paul is saying. This is how Paul was able to live a life of freedom, to live a life as a son of God, completely dependent upon God. This is, this is how Paul was able to say that he puts no confidence in the flesh because his, his old man, as he calls it, was crucified. And your old man, my old man, the, 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 the factory of our sins, if you will, the place where that, that the source of the production of sin has been crucified with Christ. That's amazing. This gospel is so amazing that Paul, multiple times, people say to Paul, well, um, okay, so if, you know, if God is satisfied and, and I've died, it, can't I keep sinning? You know, I mean, he's got, he got this question a few times. And the answer, it's really a bad question, but the, the answer really is yes. But Paul says, may it never be, because you have died. You've died to sin. All those things, all those, all those impulses, all those things that, and we have an enemy too that comes and, and, and lies to us, that, that seeks to, to cause us to look. He always, he's always causing us to look within. Satan is always causing you and me to look inside instead of looking to God, our source of life. And Paul said that as we, have been, as we have died with Christ, we have also been raised with him. So Jesus was called the, the last Adam. Adam was called the first, the first Adam. Jesus was called the last Adam. And the reason is because God took everything of humanity, everything in Adam, all that sin and all the death that spread through that, and he wrapped it all up in Jesus, the last Adam, because he had to do away with that, really, with that race of mankind. And he put it on the cross, and he crucified it. He crucified you and me. And this tense I'm talking about is, this is a fact that is historic. You were there when Jesus was crucified. And we can believe that, right? We can believe, well, we can believe Jesus was there. We can believe those two thieves on the crosses were there, right? But our crucifixion was more, much more intimate than theirs. We were with Christ on the cross. And our old man was crucified. Now, as we identified with Christ, with, with Adam in sin, we also identify with Christ. Before the cross, you hear a lot of, you see a lot of in, in Adam. I was in Adam. But after the, after the cross, you see Christ in me. Christ in me. We were raised. We were raised to new life. That's why Paul was able to say, um, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. 
mean, this is not, he's not talking metaphorically here. This is, this, is, this is a spiritual reality that happened to you and me. You died, and I died, and we were raised to new life, new creations. So what does, that, what does that mean to us? How do you walk that out? That's the question, because I know what you're thinking. You're thinking that, well, gee, I mean, I don't have just all these holy impulses all the time. That's not the kind of things that I think about all the time, right? We've got lots of things coming at us. Lots of things coming at us. So how do we do that? Paul says for a little further down in this chapter, I want to tell you about a, an important word. The word is reckon. In verse 11, he says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So reckon. We all know that word reckon, right? We usually hear that word. It's usually like a cowboy saying it or a farmer. It's like, I reckon I'll go down, grab the filly and run down to the watering hole. You know? I don't know know where that came from. Um, But reckon in the Greek means, it's actually a good, it's, it's a good, it's a good usage of the word in that context. In the Greek, it's, a, it's an accounting word. It means to, to faithfully account for something in the sense that, you know, if you got $10 in your pocket, a faithful reckoning of that is that, is, I've got $10 in my pocket. I can tell you i got $15 in my pocket. But that's not reckoning. That's a bookkeeping term. So it's math. And this is, the cool thing about it is, is math is about the only thing on the earth that a human being can do that's exact, right? I mean, there's all sorts of other stuff art and, you know, people have different perspectives of history and, and things and philosophy and all that. But, but math is, I mean, it's like one plus one equals two, right? All the time. Two plus two equals four, right? Three plus three. Thank you. In the first service, I got, I said one equals one. I, I got all, I practiced this quite a bit and I couldn't even get past one plus one equals one. I mean, equals two. See, I did it again. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, Math, math is an exact thing. And so here's what Paul is saying. Faithfully render, faithfully reckon what has actually happened to you. And that is that you have died. You have died and you've been raised to new life. Well, what do I, what do, I do? What do I do when the impure thoughts come to me? You just you say, I, re- I reckon I'm dead, you know? I'm alive. I'm alive to God. When impure thoughts come, when shame comes, when guilt comes, when, when you want to be offended, when you want to impress people, listen, you're dead to that. Those are all works of, Paul calls them works of the flesh. We are dead to those things. And the flesh is only good for one thing, and that's sinning and dying. And God took care of the flesh by crucifying it with Jesus. So, the end of that is that God has restored you and me. And we are now fully restored sons and daughters of the living God. It's like, it's as if, it's as if Adam, our father, would have chosen correctly. You know, God, God, is, God is the most free being there is. He's completely free. And he made people in his image, the word says. 
And he put him in a perfect place. And a perfect place to God involved the possibility of a poor choice. Because a perfect place involves freedom. He, he, a relationship with his, his children. He wanted sons and daughters. So he had to create them free. God is not a love robot. He doesn't love you just because he's God and that's what he does. You know, He's a person. He's a person, and he wanted relationship with sons and daughters. And this is kind of, this is really what happened. Adam and Eve in the garden, there were lots of trees in the garden, but there were two special trees. One was called the tree of life. Life, life, life was all in that tree. And, and what it would have looked like should Adam and Eve have chosen, made that choice, is, you know, they were, they were created morally, really neutral. God did not create them holy, and he did not create them evil. They had no knowledge of good and evil. I mean, it's hard to imagine, but imagine that you're a 30-something-year-old person, and you have no knowledge of good and evil, but you have a father who knows all. What God was looking for were sons and daughters who would, as they walk through life, they'd walk through life with him, and they'd say, they'd come to a crossroads. What do I do? What should I do? What decision should I make? Father, what should I do? Oh, okay, yeah, I should do that. That brings me life. Okay, so, so it's, it's really, it was, God was seeking dependent, a love relationship with sons and daughters who were completely dependent upon him. But unfortunately, what he got was because, because he, he gave Adam and Eve a free will, and a choice, there was a possibility of a bad choice. So unfortunately, at some point, they chose to eat from the knowledge of good and evil. And what, trans, what, what came from that was that they became um, what you could call, I guess, a fully developed man and woman, fully developed in their, in their capacities. They, were, they became wise, it says, became smart. They, they probably were good, you know, good people. But... They were completely outside the life of God. Completely outside the life of God. Independent, self-dependent. What, what God has done through the cross is restore you and me to that relationship where we're dead to sin. We've been crucified with Christ. That, that's, that's gone. The old man is gone. And we are a new creation. God is satisfied God is satisfied once and for all by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And we can come to him boldly. We can come to him, not only come to him boldly and ask, like we've been talking about, but also come boldly to just, where nothing would separate, there's no separation. He's taken away the barrier of our sin consciousness and of our sinfulness. He's taken it away so that we become, again, dependent Sons and daughters of the living God. So it's, it's like there's this, there's this woman that Jesus talks about. And she, uh, her name's Mary. And Jesus comes to her house and she has a, a pound of, it's called spikenard. It's a perfume. 
And it's worth like a year's worth of wages in that culture. And it says she, broke, she, she busted it open and she poured it all over Jesus in worship. And it says, there's two accounts of the story. In one account it's Judas that says it, but in the other it says everybody who was there. So most likely all the disciples, they became indignant. They were offended that she, she did this. Couldn't it have been used for the poor or something more, more important? And Jesus said this. He said, everywhere the gospel's preached, this story is going to be told too of what this woman did to me. And the reason I'm telling you this today is because Jesus values that kind of relationship so much that he, I mean, Jesus willingly, this is, you know, the scripture says Jesus for the joy set before him went to the cross. This is what he went to the cross for, you and me. Don't, don't, let's not, devalue what he did. And we devalue what he did by, by trying to come some other way, by trying to come some other way that, that, that every time we try to work our way into God's presence, all it does is devalue what he did. Yeah, it seems wrong and impossible. and Well, it is. It's, that's why it's called amazing grace. It's, it's, it's amazing. I mean, Paul, that's why Paul, you know, Paul said, who can bring a charge against the elect of God. Who, can, who will condemn us? We are completely uncondemnable. You are uncondemnable, if that's a word. You, are, you cannot be shamed. God is not ashamed. Jesus, it says Jesus is not ashamed to call you and me his brothers and sisters. It also says in Hebrews 11, God is not ashamed to be called our God and our Father. So this is the gospel. This is what Paul is trying to say. He has been, he, he's been crucified with Christ. This is how Paul walked, walked away from his old life because God didn't reform his life. He didn't clean up his life. He didn't like paint over his life. He killed him. He killed Paul. He killed you and me. He killed the old man. So, when these thoughts, when we have an enemy, all right, and he, he lies to us, like I said, when he comes and tries to, to, to tempt you to doubt God's facts of what God has done and actually done, you just, you got to reckon yourself. You got you to gotta take an accounting. You got to say, you know what? That impure thought that's come to me, I reckon I'm dead. And I reckon I'm not going to be um, acting on that. That offense, when you treated me poorly, I reckon I'm dead. And I reckon I'm alive to God. I'm alive to God. I don't, you know, we don't have to, we don't have to sin. We don't have to. It's not our nature anymore. I mean, it's really, it's not our nature anymore. That nature has been put away, done away with at the cross. Yes, we live in this world, and we have things come at us. But we do not have to take the bait, if you will, like that pelican did. Because the, the, the result is bondage. And Jesus has completely set us free through his blood and through the, through the cross. So there's only one way to live. And the one way to live 
is to reckon yourself dead to sin and alive to God. You know, going from there, like that woman, you know, we're gonna we're gonna sing another song here, and it's 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 just a song. But it's an opportunity, one of many, many that you and I will have as we walk even through this day, to to really pour out our lives to God. And this is a great thing that we do. I mean, the reason why we have instruments and voices and people lead us is is for this very reason, so that we would we would pour out our hearts before God. Say, Lord, I belong to you fully. I completely belong to you. Nothing can separate you and me from God. There's nothing that can come in between. And now we are completely free to pour out our hearts and our lives before him, not just in song, but our very lives. And it's, a, it's really kind of an adventure. It's, it's unpredictable because it's a relationship. You know, your relationship with, with a friend or a father or mother or a wife or a husband or a child, to some extent it's predictable, only in the sense that you know the character of that person. But you don't know what's going to happen today. You don't know what the future holds. It's just an adventure to, to walk with God and to pour out your life and to say, Lord, I belong to you. I belong to you. What would you, what would you have me do? You know, Jesus... Jesus said, I can do nothing. Jesus was a, was a son of, he was, he was the first begotten son of God. He was originally the only begotten, but then it said he was the firstborn from the dead, right? So he was the first. But he was a son who, he said things like this. He said, I, I only do what I see the Father do. And I only say what I see, what, see the Father say, says, see what the Father says. And he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. That's why Paul said he put no confidence in the flesh because the flesh was dead. It was good for nothing. That's why Paul said it was, okay. it was fine. His weakness was fine. He was a super talented guy. But he, he would rather glory in his weakness that God would come and fill that strength. He came, he said, not with persuasive words of wisdom but in the power of God. You and I have been raised by the power of God to new life. So I want to, you know, I, when it comes to these things, we talk about Paul, we talk about us. I, you know, I would, I would ask, is there anybody that's, you know, dealing with shame or has dealt with shame? I, I, I just think it's everybody. We all, this is, this is the, the battle of life is, is living in freedom. Freedom from our past, freedom from our sins, freedom from our, our capacity to sin. So I, I, I want to I pray for us, and then I just want to declare, just make a, what I, really a prophetic declaration over each one of us here today. So would you just pray for me? I mean, pray with me. Father, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for the, for the lengths to which you went once for all time to restore us. That we could be 
completely free sons and daughters of yours. Thank you for washing our consciences clean that we could come to you without any consciousness of sins. But also, Lord, thank you for taking away the old body of sin, the old nature, and nailing it to the cross with Jesus. Lord, we are so grateful for that, that we can say with Paul that we have been crucified with Christ and that we now live to you. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes. Lord, we sung a song that said, unveil our eyes. Would you unveil our eyes to the reality of your provision through the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus Christ that has completely delivered us from the power and the authority of sin and made us new creatures new creations alive to you. Lord, we present ourselves to you today as we walk forward from this place. Lord, unveil our eyes to the truth of the reality of what you've done for us. And now I just want to speak over each one of you and me that you are a fully restored son, a fully restored daughter of God. You've been crucified with Christ. And the old man has been put away. And you no longer live, but Christ lives in you. And the life that you now live in the flesh, you live by complete dependence on the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. In Jesus' name, amen.